It's so right that the church leader gets dumped with a reading like that, don't you think, with all those awkward names? I also felt like I'd been past a dodgy passage, uh, preaching on something like just the closing greetings. But as we know from Timothy a bit earlier on, it says all uh, scripture's good for teaching and instruction and encouraging us. So let's hope so, eh? We can put this one to the test together. So I'm Sam, and you may know me because I've been at Network a while, but I've also been away for a while. I've been away for a couple of months doing some different things, like finishing my training, getting ordained, as John said. And also, um, thank you. (laughs) And also getting another job, which I'll tell you a bit more about in a minute. And I've been learning all sorts of uh, things about life related to being ordained. So one of them is that, As you know, the the sort of ordained people at Network don't wear the clergy collar. And so I was like saying to this woman who I trained with, oh, you know, I I won't wear the collar. And she was like, oh, Sam, I'd I'd like you to think again about that because it is only since 1994 that women have been able to be ordained in in the UK, in the Church of England. And it is very important that you wear your collar because you may wake up a calling Uh, in a younger woman, and only seeing it wakes up that calling. So sorry not to be wearing it, but maybe me saying it might wake up that calling. And whilst it's been one of the hardest things I've done over the last five years, two years of discernment, three years of training, and quite honestly, it's been quite savage from time to time, I am so pleased I've done it. So if if you sense there's a whisper on the wind that the Lord might be calling you into this crazy stuff, Strangely, I'd really recommend it, and we could have a little chat about that if you like. So if you've been with us for a while, you'll know that we've been looking at this um, letter that Paul has written to Timothy. If you're just visiting, I'm going to catch you up on the key points, which are that Paul is in prison, and he's been in prison before, but this is like really bad. And uh, Emperor Nero is absolutely tyrannical and tyrannical where it comes to Christians. Paul has already been through, through one trial and it didn't go well. And you might remember in the passage, he said, everybody deserted me. We're going to revisit that bit in a minute to see if we think really everyone did. But he felt utterly deserted. And he's uh, awaiting a further trial. And Roman systems would have meant that probably would have taken absolutely ages and it's not it's like summertime now but he's thinking about winter and winter where he is would have been very savage so he's got on his mind a lot of things to do with this impending death we know from the um passage before that uh, last week that paul is saying i've run the race you know i've i've done what i've needed to do my time here is coming to a close And so what we have in these closing greetings is a letter from a great apostle and church planter who finds himself in a terrible predicament. He has been deserted by some of those he trusted most. He's facing certain death. And this is an intensely personal farewell message. And it is intensely human. We see the vulnerable side of the great apostle And this amazing apostle and church planter is unafraid to name his own needs. He's unafraid to name his vulnerability, and he is unashamed to do so. He needs the practical and emotional support of others, and we don't see in him any posturing heroics and no attempt to strive alone. Rather, in this 
closing part of the letter, there's an honest and humble embracing of the need for human support, and also a confident embracing of the power of God to sustain him through suffering and bring him home to the kingdom beyond death, the kingdom that is eternal home with Jesus. So in this letter, in this closing bit, we see Paul really owning his temporal circumstances, the practical situation in which he finds himself, really owning his own needs, and also recognizing he's part of the big story. And sometimes we can swing a bit. We can be like, oh, today this doesn't, you know, what I think and feel now doesn't matter because I'm part of an eternal kingdom or oh, what, what matters now is I've really got to get myself sorted out and we forget we're part of an eternal story. And what we have here is both of these things together. The recognition of the temporal, physical, today suffering and the embracing of being part of a bigger story. And uh, this section of the letter begins with emotional and practical needs. And Paul is writing to Timothy and he's like, come quickly. Come to me as quickly as, as you can because he wants the stuff that Timothy can help him with. But more than that, we know from earlier on in the passage, in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 4, he says, I long to see you so that I may be filled with joy. I long to see you so that I may be filled with joy. So this great apostle is in very low spirits. He wants the company of Timothy that his sadness might be lifted from sadness to joy. He needs the emotional support, the encouragement, and the closeness that Timothy can offer. And he's saying, come quickly. It's an urgent need. And then we get on to some other very interesting things. He says, um, only Luke is with me. So everybody else has got, get Mark and bring him with me, for he's useful in my ministry. And the translation of ministry here is a bit unclear whether he's saying get Mark because he's useful in the mission of the gospel or get Mark because he's handy to have around and he'll help me out, you know, and provide me with a few things. Uh, either way, he wants Mark because he's of practical use. He's going to do something good. And if you feel like you, you know, you say, look at someone who gives a prophetic word and you're like, oh, that's not me. You know, all I, I'm just like, all I do is, you know, admin's my gift and, you know, isn't that a boring one? Or, you know, I do hospitality, everybody does hospitality. Then have a little think about this because that's not true. <laughs> you know, all of these gifts are given by God for the upbuilding of, of our community. And so Paul is asking for some very practical things here and they are not less. They are, they are matters of like life and death to him. They're matters of... Uh, spiritual strength and physical comfort. So if you uh, feel particularly gifted in what we might think as more practical outworkings of gifts, though they are essentially spiritual gifts that look practical, um, I just encourage you to embrace them. He says, I, uh, he's uh, sent Tychicus to, that one to Ephesus. And then he says, when you come, Timothy, when you come, bring the cloak that I left behind. I love it that he wants his cloak. Having a decent winter cloak at this time would have been extremely important. He's facing a really harsh winter, and he really wants it. And he's not pretending he doesn't have physical needs or comfort needs. He's embracing that and inviting someone else to be the answer to that prayer. Inviting someone else to exercise their gifts to bring him the comfort that he needs. 
And I also find it interesting, the, the coat's there, and he's over here. Because often people, like, they're like, oh, oh, I just want to pray what God's will is for my life, like it's a blueprint, you know? Well, if it's a blueprint, why did he leave his cloak behind? It doesn't work like that, does it? We, we operate in the middle of a spiritual battle, all sorts of unexpected things happen. And uh, so I don't think Paul, you know, Paul's expectation would have been God to go back and get that blooming cloak, not to have to send someone else to get it from prison. But he, he asks someone else to bring it because he needs that physical comfort. And he also really wants his books his scrolls and his parchments. And the scrolls are likely, likely to have been um, the, what we call the Old Testament, the Jewish scriptures. He was recognizing a need to feed his heart on the truth of God in what was going to be a savage time of waiting for his doom, waiting for his death alone. And so he get the, get the scriptures for me. I need to feed my heart on those. And he also asked for these parchments. Probably he made the parchments, probably for, with an intention to, to write on them in some way. And so he's, he's like, well, maybe God's going to impart something to me. I need those parchments. I might need them. You know, God might give me something to say. And so we see he's embracing both physical and emotional and spiritual needs. And in asking timothy and the other guys to come and help him he is asking a lot of them to visit paul in prison would have probably meant that you too would be imprisoned and probably die so this is not a small ask of his friends this is not a cheap ask this is a huge ask and in asking he's also inviting them to participate in god's story he's asking them to wonder can i do this will i do it do I, you know, will God enable me to do it? He's inviting the waking up of faith in them. He's inviting them to wake up to the way they can help him. And this is what happens when we ask people. And sometimes we're not that great at asking for help, are we? Well, I'm not that great at asking for help. And um, you might think that you'd see in Paul someone that was striving on alone but he understands how Christian community works. He understands that we're de designed to belong together, that the plan is that we help one another, and that as I invite you, as I ask something of you, so your answer enables you to grow in the gifts and in the way of love. And we do belong to one another, and asking and being the answer is what we're all invited to do all of the time. One of the things, ways Paul describes the church, that is us, as one body with many parts. And we are interdependent. When one bit hurts, everyone hurts. When one bit offers comfort, all are comforted. When one part loves, love ripples through the community. We need one another, and we need one another especially when we face vulnerability and suffering. And when we invite people to be an answer to our needs, we are, in effect, fanning into the flame the gifts that is within them. We're saying, I need what you have. What God has placed in you can help me. What God has gifted you with is needed by me. And we fan into flames the gifts that God has placed within our community. And we are creating opportunities to love one another. One of, Jesus, one of the things Jesus said that's recorded in John's Gospel is, I give you a new commandment. And it's this, love one another. 
and as you love one another, the world will see that you are my disciples. Love one another, and the world will see that you are my disciples. So, as we ask and be the answer to one another's prayer, as we love one another, we are assigned to the world. There's a missional imperative to loving one another. And we are helped to love one another when we know what one another's needs are and we trust one another to be the answer to them. I think that's what it means to bear with one another, to bear one another's burdens. And even Jesus didn't try to go it alone. In his darkest hours in Gethsemane, he asked his disciples to stay up and watch and pray. They did a slightly dubious job of it. But he still trusted in his disciples to uphold him and to love him. We are not designed for aloneness. We are designed for community. We're designed to be the asker and to be the answer that the world might see what love looks like. I can think of some times in my life where people, where I've asked people to help me and they have loved me in ways that have made differences that I can't really put into words. In our family, we've had some very uh, difficult health issues with both of our children. And there are some people who I have on a little list in my head. And when things feel impossible, and when I don't know how to pray and I feel I don't know what to do. Do you get that feeling, you know, when you can't even think straight, let alone pray straight? You've no idea what to do. I, f- I text those women and I lean on them. And I know that they will uphold me and uphold my family. And I cannot tell you the difference that makes for me. It is an incredible thing. And there's one group of women I've prayed with for about 26 years, probably. And one of them in particular, I've always thought was like the most faithful prayer. You know, we all know people like that, don't we? We're like, when I grow up, I want to be like her. And I was like, when I grow up, I want to be like Fiona, you know. Always ask her to pray. She's, she'll really hang in with God. And Fiona's become very ill. And um, so the rest of us the other three of us in this little group, you know, then it's our job to love her and to pray for her. And it's been really hard because I have sometimes not known how to pray because she's been so poorly. And sometimes we've not known how to pray and we've landed back on, well, she would want us to pray that Jesus would come in power and bring her healing. And so we have prayed for that. And sometimes we have prayed for that with a lot of faith. And quite honestly, I I think we've just prayed it sometimes. And I don't know where our hearts have been, but we have just prayed it because she's asked us to. And we want to love her. And we have known her love us. And um, 
she's been in hospital over about the last 10 days and sometime we've had a little group with her husband in it because we were like you know he has to do her admin because she's so poorly and then recently she started to join in the group messaging and we're like oh she's getting back on her feet and she might even go home tomorrow and it's been um a very humbling journey to be part of because i have felt very small for that task but i've known she's depended on us being faithful to her and so, however small we feel when we are asked to help one another, let's not let that feeling of our smallness um, kind of defy our participation. Let's recognize that we feel small and we don't know what to do, but let's do something anyway. Let's call upon the power of God to transform the world because that is what he loves to do. So the second angle I want to take on the passage looks at verse 14 and uh, sort of verse 16 and 17. At my first defense, no one came to my support, but all deserted me. May it not be counted against them. Well, he is in a terrible situation. I think, as he already told us, Luke was there. We can think it felt like everyone deserted him. Only Luke was there, but he felt like nobody like everyone had disappeared. And quite honestly, we would have probably disappeared under the threat of that kind of persecution. It's really understandable. And Paul does not hold it against those people. He's like, may God not hold it against them. So he's utterly deserted. He feels like everybody's left me, but you know, God, don't count it against them. However, but, so over here, he's like, I'm completely deserted. I need all your help. And also over here is but God. So in the midst of the suffering which has not been relieved, in the midst of the desertion, he says, but the Lord stood by me and gave me strength. But the Lord stood by me and gave me strength so that through me the message might be fully proclaimed and all the Gentiles might hear it. Maybe... Um, you find yourself in that kind of place today, in a place of unresolved suffering, whether that might be emotional or physical or a practical place of suffering. And it hasn't been resolved or healed and you are right in the middle of it. Just as in this passage, Paul is right in the middle of his experience of suffering and desertion. And the God who strengthens Paul in the middle of that suffering and stands by him is the eternal, unchanging God who stands by you and imparts strength to you in, the, in your pain and your suffering. It is not an easy thing to endure suffering. But right within that, in wordless ways, God can strengthen us to endure. And it is still really hard. And so today, if we find ourselves in the place of suffering like that, suffering that causes you to feel deserted and alone, isolated, then you are in the company of the great church-planting Apostle Paul, who simultaneously experienced incredible vulnerability and need, and also the strengthening of God.
In this place of suffering, Paul also focuses on the eternal story. He knows he's going to die. He knows this prison sentence is not going to end well. And then in verse 18, he says, The Lord will rescue me from every evil attack and save me for his heavenly kingdom. The Lord will rescue me from every evil attack and save me for his heavenly kingdom. It's great that he says God will save him for his heavenly kingdom. It's a right old like to the Roman Empire who thought their kingdom was the kingdom of all kingdoms. And he's like, uh, Nero, you may have me now, mate, but God has me for his eternal kingdom. And so the kind of rescue from evil attacks here is not a rescue from the prison. It's not a rescue from the emotional feelings of desertion and low spirits. But it's a rescue from this life into the eternal story of God. Paul is saying, God will save me for his heavenly kingdom. I have a place in a kingdom that extends beyond this world. And so as he does this, as he says, the Lord will rescue me and save me for his heavenly kingdom, we're invited to contextualize our own story in this story that is eternal. Suffering now is terrible. And if you are suffering uh, any kind of uh, emotional, psychological, or physical suffering now, that is, that is real, and we, you know, my heart prays that God would meet you in that place, and God will ultimately save you and bring you home into a kingdom which Revelation 21 tells us. We will see the home of God is among mortals. We will live, you will live together. Our story will be God's story. We'll see the home of God is among mortals. He will dwell with them and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. Death will be no more. Mourning and crying and pain will be no more. We experience the nearness of God now in the kingdom that is to come. Our lives will be so illuminated by his presence, that will be the only light we need. The con the, the, uh, we will know no pain. We will know the companionship of God like we, have, like we can't even imagine. We can't even imagine that, can we? But that is the story and that is the context in which our very real and present suffering sits. This today is real, but it is not the end of the story. There's a bigger story that is also real to which we are invited in. So I'm going to read that piece of scripture from Revelation again, and um, I'm going to say a prayer. And then I'm going to invite the band to um, lead us a bit. And then after that, we will uh, offer some ministry time. Maybe you'd like to get prayed for, especially if you feel like you've disowned your practical gifts, then we can pray for a fresh anointing on those 
practical gifts. If you're someone that would feels like you could advance into asking that someone else's gift might be flammed into flame, you could pray, you could come for prayer for that. You can come for prayer for anything. But I would particularly like to pray for something in particular now, which is to do with our present suffering. So why don't you stand and I'm going to read the scripture over us again. So it might help you to close your eyes to let these words sink into your heart. So I'm going to just pray. Lord, send your Holy Spirit to accomplish what words alone cannot accomplish. Come and send your Holy Spirit that these words might transform today for us. That they might uh, dwell in us and strengthen us today. See, the home of God is among mortals. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. Death will be no more. Mourning and crying and pain will be no more. And so... God, we bring our current suffering and pain. You may find it helpful to imagine yourself holding it, holding your current suffering and pain. And God, help us to place it where it belongs in your big story. Where you will bring us through into a life we can barely imagine in your company. And so God bless our hearts, strengthen us in all the circumstances in which we find ourselves today. Be they joyful and ready to serve, strengthen us in those places be they difficult and dark, strengthen us in those we pray to. For you are very great indeed, Jesus. And we recognize that you have accomplished everything that is needed, that we might know God and live in his company forever. <laughs>